Section 17 of U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency Aldrich Plan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. U.S. Money versus Corporation Currency Aldrich Plan by Alfred Owen Crozier. Chapter 15, Part 1 The National Banking System. The American Bankers Association, officially representing all banks, by resolution in November 1911, endorsed and urged Congress to adopt the Aldrich National Reserve Scheme. It is alleged to be spending money for that purpose furnished by the banks. It is said to be helping to create and steer public sentiment through the press or with special literature prepared or distributed by various banks at the cost of the banks, or to organize or encourage the organization of so-called citizens' associations and monetary reform leagues, to entice and marshal businessmen to support this movement. Presumably this united effort and expenditure of money is expected by the banks to yield benefit to the banks. It is conceded that the bill prepared and advocated by the National Monetary Commission and now pending in Congress, would create a mere private corporation named National Reserve Association, and that every share of the stock will be owned and voted by banks, and that, as the management of such corporation, or 42 of the 46 directors, will be chosen by the banks, the institution will absolutely and permanently be controlled by the banks, the banks exclusively yielding the powers and getting the profits of the National Reserve Association. There will be no dispute as to these facts. It is proposed that Congress take away from the government and delegate to such private corporation certain governmental powers heretofore exercised under the Constitution by the federal government exclusively, and it would prohibit the government and everybody except such corporation from hereafter exercising such powers. In other words, it confers an exclusive monopoly by law of Congress upon such private corporation for the sole profit of the banks owning the stock of such corporation. It is a syndicate of banks, a national money trust. The chief grant is the exclusive right of issuing public currency for use as money by the people. It will thus regulate the volume and supply of the money the people must have as a medium of exchange, and to put into bank reserves as a cash basis on which banks loan credit to borrowing customers. In a collective capacity, acting through their subsidiary corporation, the National Reserve Association, the banks hereafter will manufacture with the printing press their own cash reserves on which the huge volume of bank credit is based. What is the use of the banks going to the expense of providing actual cash capital when its central corporation can print and supply currency, money, to the banks without legal restraint or limit? It's all in the bank family. They can do as they please. The government and the people, henceforth, are to have nothing to say about the public currency or the quantity to be furnished for their use. It is also proposed that the government shall turn over to this corporation, as received, 
all money raised for every purpose from every source amounting to nearly three-fourths of a billion dollars annually and that such corporation shall not pay the government anything for the use of this vast sum while on deposit also that all disbursements hereafter made by the government shall be through such corporation there are many other powers and privileges that the measure would confer upon such corporation beneficial to the owning banks but the above is sufficient to show that the power and profits of the banks would be enormously increased and their political influence and control over all business vastly augmented if congress should pass the measure investigate the banking system this makes it wise and highly proper and important that before passing the measure it be definitely ascertained whether the banks and those managing banks have in the past so conducted themselves that it is reasonably safe and wise thus to so greatly increase their profits and powers it could hardly be expected that any sane man would favor increasing the power and pay of a trusted employee or trustee clearly shown to have deliberately and repeatedly violated his trust obligation and the laws of the land as well if it can be clearly shown that the banks have been faithful to their trust their express and implied obligation to the public always furthered the interests of the government in return for the rich valuable and exclusive privileges and immunities conferred upon them by law and have rigidly complied with the provisions of their charters and the laws regulating their conduct then they can come with clean hands asking for the greater benefits and powers proposed but if it shall appear from undisputed sworn evidence that a large portion of all national banks have been faithless have ignored their charters and for profit have continuously knowingly flagrantly violated the laws of the land the acts of congress have blocked good and promoted bad legislation for their own interest who would seriously advocate increasing the profits and augmenting a hundredfold the power of these very lawless banks and bankers by putting the national reserve association into their hands instead of under the control of government origin of national banking system the national banking system originated during the civil war it was a war measure the facts are set forth in detail in the origin of the national banking system and a supplement thereof issued by the national monetary commission a careful study of the facts tends to impress the reader that the adoption of the banking system was largely due to the belief by congress secretary of the treasury salmon p chase and president lincoln that in order to market government bonds and get money with which to carry on the war and save the life of the nation it was absolutely necessary to buy cooperation of the bankers and wall street financiers with profits their patriotism seemed to have been in proportion to the size of the profits they realized at public expense from bond transactions and issuance of currency orlando b potter of new york on august nineteenth eighteen sixty one in a letter to secretary chase first suggested and in detail outlined the national banking system afterwards recommended by secretary chase on december first eighteen sixty one and eighteen sixty two 
and later adopted by congress one of mr potter's chief arguments was quote, this would make government and the capital mutually dependent on each other and every bank and banker would feel a daily interest in supporting and keeping the government above suspicion end quote. stating it the other way they would not support the government that sheltered and protected their business or do anything to keep its credit above suspicion even during its life and death struggle unless they could make a big and steady money profit doing so isidore bush of st louis a leading german citizen on december twenty eighth eighteen sixty one wrote secretary chase favoring his national bank currency plan saying quote, it makes it for the interest of capitalists of the money power and of banking institutions to uphold and sustain the credit of the government it would increase the common interest for the preservation and safety of the union end quote. silas m stillwell of new york who at secretary chase's request aided in drafting a bill for the purpose prepared a pamphlet on the subject that was issued in december eighteen sixty one thirty thousand copies being printed and circulated by the treasury department and another called explanatory notes on january sixth eighteen sixty two in which he said quote, the object to be obtained by this system of banking is to provide a plan that will create a demand for bonds and thus fund in this way as many demand notes as possible end quote. in other words convert the government non-interest-bearing demand notes or greenbacks into interest-bearing six per cent bonds to be deposited by the bankers with the government in exchange for ninety per cent of banknote currency to be loaned out by the bankers at six to ten per cent the bankers getting and keeping this interest for use of the currency and also the six per cent on the deposited bonds a total of twelve to fifteen per cent less a currency tax of one per cent that was the price that seems to have been necessary for the people and the government to pay to ensure the loyalty of the bankers and wall street financiers at a time when a million patriots were at the front risking their lives in defense of the union for thirteen dollars per month in government money depreciated below fifty cents on the dollar by these same financiers for their own profit on february ninth eighteen sixty two enoch f carson of cincinnati wrote secretary chase that the people were with him believing that it was a fight between the government and the banks and that mr chase represented the people in the struggle secretary chase on october seventh eighteen sixty two in a letter to john bigelow expressed the belief that his national bank currency plan would quote, bring to the support of the public credit the whole banking interest of the country end quote. it would open quote, a gradually enlarged market for the securities of the government and thus sustain their credit at the highest point end quote. evidently the government had not been getting the support of the whole banking interest of the country but secretary chase expected that the big double profits the government thus was forced to offer the banks that is six per cent on bonds and six per cent or more for the currency obtained by deposit of such bonds would quote, bring to the support of the public credit the whole banking interest of the country 
End quote. December 23, 1862, Secretary Chase wrote Thaddeus Stevens, chairman of the Committee of Ways and Means, saying, quote, I see no ground for belief that the funds necessary for the pay of the army and the prosecution of the war can be in any way provided without the support to public credit expected from that measure. End quote. The government of the Republic was in a desperate financial hole. Without money, the war must fail and the Union be destroyed. The bankers could easily help it out and thus save the nation's life but would not do it until they got an immediate 12% to 15% profit, and a permanent system that has largely supplanted government currency with banknote currency, a bank system that in 48 years has cleared more than $3 billion of net profits, $3,107,185,441, over three times the amount of the present government debt, and equal to all the money in circulation in the United States. Surely the bankers drove a good bargain, and each year, for over forty years, have received millions from the people as a sort of pension to keep the bankers patriotic, and from backsliding in their loyalty to the Republic. By frequent congressional intrigues, this pension has been steadily increased, until the yearly cost to the people of bank patriotism now in time of peace is about ten times as much as it was in time of war and under the aldridge plan reported by the monetary commission it is now proposed to vastly increase the profits and power of the banks without the slightest benefit to the government or the people senator sherman finally came to the aid of secretary chase and the bill the sherman act was passed on february twenty five eighteen sixty three and approved he declaring that it would promote a sentiment of nationality evidently among bankers the volume from which the above quotations are made issued by the monetary commission says on page eighty four the senate was the stronghold of the banks it would have been impossible to have secured the passage of any bill in that body which seemed in any way to be unjust toward state banks End quote. All banks then were state banks, so it must be clear that the provisions of the law creating the national banking system are such as the bankers approved or dictated. This may explain why the law did not contain a single personal penalty on bankers for violating the law as to matters pertaining to the safety of depositors and the general welfare, and yet it imposes upon any public official who should countersign and deliver banknotes to any but the right bank, a fine not exceeding double the amount of such notes, and imprisonment not exceeding fifteen years. The Sherman Act of February 25, 1863, an act to provide a national currency secured by a pledge of United States stock and to provide for the circulation and redemption thereof, was supplemented by the law of june three eighteen sixty four entitled an act to provide a national currency secured by a pledge of united states bonds and to provide for the circulation and redemption thereof the new law of course was more liberal to the banks 
and practically every change made since has been to increase the immunities powers and profits of the banks while every proposal during the past forty-eight years having for its object increasing the soundness of banks or the safety of depositors and the public has been defeated in congress by the lobbying of the banks this was the fate of the recommendations of eleven different u s comptrollers of the currency designed to strengthen the national banking system in the interest of depositors and the public there were about sixteen hundred state banks scattered throughout the country they were turning out corporation currency as fast as their printing presses could supply it most of this was depreciated and much worthless december thirteenth eighteen sixty one the chicago tribune called it the ragged and doubtful issues of one thousand six hundred corporations there was about two hundred million dollars of this currency the inconvenience and loss to the people was frightful there were ten thousand different kinds of banknotes in circulation counterfeiters added enormously to the volume danger and losses all was confusion business was more or less paralyzed to improve this desperate condition as well as to aid the government in carrying on the war congress by acts of july seventeenth and august five eighteen sixty one authorized the first national government currency money fifty million dollars of demand notes backed by the government these by act of march seventeenth eighteen sixty two were made legal tender for all debts it was the best paper money in existence good everywhere and never depreciated but always was equal with gold the bankers were furious they saw that this kind of national currency government money that all must accept at par because it was full legal tender soon would supplant and drive out of circulation the doubtful or worthless state bank note currency so the banks began to fight the government while the confederates were fighting in front with guns the bankers were fighting behind choking off the government's credit and supply of money with an enemy both sides the union was doomed so the government yielded to the bankers it adopted the national banking system as a means of buying the support of the bankers and to provide a way by which banks could keep the issuing of currency in their private hands and stop the issuance of full legal tender government money the history of bank intrigue and influence in congress and opposition to the government during the civil war is the most sordid and for the banks the most despicable chapter in american annals the bank selfishness shown then has increased with time and with the enormous growth of bank wealth and power until in nineteen twelve we see them actually grasping for all power for mastery over everything through a private monopoly of the supply of money on march three eighteen sixty five congress destroyed all state bank circulation with a ten per cent annual tax that remains to this day but with destruction of the twenty million dollars of state bank issues the national bank note currency grew in eighteen sixty four it was thirty one million two hundred thirty five thousand two hundred seventy eighteen sixty five one hundred forty six million four hundred six thousand seven hundred twenty five eighteen sixty six 
two hundred eighty one million five hundred eighty three thousand three hundred sixty five eighteen sixty seven two hundred ninety eight million seven hundred fifty nine thousand four hundred thirty six dollars there was not enough bank-note currency before the war ended to do much good it was the four hundred fifty million dollars of government money greenbacks that carried the government through that great struggle crippled as they were at the demand of the banks by being made only a limited legal tender after the first sixty million dollars banks fight government currency from eighteen sixty one to nineteen twelve the irrepressible and constant aim of the banks has been to prevent the issuance of government paper money in order to increase bank currency that yields steady profit to the banks and the present aldrich national reserve association plan is the same fight carried to a most audacious and daring extreme besides the first fifty million dollars an additional ten million dollars of full legal tender demand notes were issued under act of february twelfth eighteen sixty two the government was authorized to reissue these as they came back but not after december thirty first eighteen sixty two thirty thousand dollars was so reissued these demand notes or first greenbacks legal tenders were paid in gold as presented they never depreciated the act of february twenty five eighteen sixty two authorized one hundred fifty million dollars united states notes fifty million dollars thereof to be used to take up and cancel the balance of the sixty million dollars demand notes outstanding and by july one eighteen sixty three all but three million three hundred fifty thousand dollars of the sixty million dollars had been paid and cancelled the balance being retired during the next year but the one hundred fifty million dollars u s notes greenbacks at the insistent demand of the financiers and gold gamblers of wall street were not made full legal tender they were by law made legal tender for all debts public and private except duties on imports and interest on the public debt they were thus only a limited legal tender this exception made them unequal and less valuable than gold because they could not be used wherever gold could such exception caused their depreciation as measured in gold or in other words it caused appreciation of the price of gold measured in this government currency specie payments were suspended from january first eighteen sixty two to january first eighteen seventy nine while at times the gold price of greenbacks went much lower once to about thirty five the average price per year was eighteen sixty two eighty eight point three eighteen sixty three sixty eight point nine eighteen sixty four forty nine point two eighteen sixty five sixty three point six eighteen sixty six seventy one eighteen sixty seven seventy two point four eighteen sixty eight seventy one point six eighteen sixty nine seventy five point two eighteen seventy eighty seven eighteen seventy one eighty nine point five eighteen seventy two eighty nine eighteen seventy three eighty seven point nine 
1874, 89.9, 1875, 87, 1876, 89.8, 1877, 95.4, 1878, 99.2. And the yearly average currency prices of gold were 1862, 113.3, 1863, 145.2, 1874, 114.9, 1875, 114.9, 1876, 104.8, of which $50 million was issued to pay a temporary loan, and a third $150 million issue was authorized March 3, 1863, a total of $450 million of greenbacks. The highest amount outstanding at any time was $449,338,902 on January 30, 1864. There are still outstanding $346,681,016 of these U.S. notes, more commonly called greenbacks or legal tenders. Most of them are tightly held by the banks in their cash reserves. A gold reserve of $100 million in later years was held in the Treasury to secure these notes, until the Gold Standard Act of March 14, 1900, increased this gold reserve to $150 million. In other words, to discredit government paper money, or greenbacks, in 1900, when every dollar out was worth dollar for dollar with gold, and had been for over 20 years, the gold standard law forced the government always to keep on hand $150 million gold, to secure the $346,681,016 of greenbacks that are as much an obligation of the government as U.S. bonds. Thus the banks caused the government to actually raise by taxation and the selling of long-interest-bearing bonds payable in gold the enormous sum of $150 million and pile it up idle in the public treasury permanently without one cent of advantage or benefit to the government or the people, and when it was wholly unnecessary. And this was done to head off the possible issuance of any additional government currency, and to ensure that all future currency would be issued by banks for the profit of the banks. In contrast, it is interesting to note that by the Comptroller's report, there was on October 31, 1911, $744,071,715 of bank note currency outstanding in the hands of the people, 
five times as much as when the civil war ended without one dollar of gold held by the government or the banks to secure same and it is all mere optional currency not legal tender and no one can use it to pay even an ordinary debt if the other party cares to refuse to accept it of course the currency is sound because the government holds an equal amount of u s bonds to secure it and also by law has expressly guaranteed such currency but what is behind the bonds only the faith and credit of the united states the same identical thing that was back of the greenbacks before any gold reserve was provided surely the credit of the banks behind bank-note currency does not make such money more sound than if only the government and with all its unlimited taxing power guaranteed the same if every dollar of currency was issued and guaranteed by the government made full legal tender by law for all purposes and secured by whatever reserve of gold is considered ample we would have the most simple sound and practical monetary system in the world it would be the cheapest for the people because the government charges nothing for issuing it it costs the government but a small fraction of one per cent but the banks always have and always will oppose it for two reasons one it would not yield the banks a steady profit as bank-note currency does two banks are afraid that the quantity might be so increased that the people would do more business on a cash basis and less on credit bought from banks these are the chief reasons actuating the banks and wall street in their continuous legislative and political struggle to discredit and destroy all government paper currency and bringing about a complete monopoly in the banks or in a corporation owned by the banks of the currency issuing privilege as now proposed by the national monetary commission in the most bold form ever suggested the banks won't trust the people and the government not to overinflate the currency but by the aldrich plan they ask the government and the people to trust the banks with unlimited power to both inflate and contract the entire currency and if the plan is adopted it is certain that the volume of currency at all times will be either too big or too little for the banks will profit most when the supply is not normal when it is unduly inflated or unfairly contracted banks continually warn against the danger of increasing the prices of property and stocks by overinflation of the currency but they themselves have inflated bank currency four hundred per cent in twenty years and they have inflated bank credit which produces the same effect billions of dollars the banks want to do all the inflating that is to be done and for their own profit by the act of april twelfth eighteen sixty six instigated by the banks ten million dollars of greenbacks were retired and burned the first six months and not more than four million dollars per month thereafter this was stopped by the protest of the people and the act of congress february four eighteen sixty eight after forty four million dollars of the people's war money had thus been burned up the banknote circulation of course increased as government currency was destroyed june thirty eighteen sixty four 
there was one hundred forty six million four hundred six thousand seven hundred twenty five dollars banknote currency outstanding having increased from thirty one million two hundred thirty five thousand two hundred seventy dollars the previous year the first being issued on december twenty first eighteen sixty three but on june thirty eighteen sixty eight there was three hundred million five hundred forty five thousand three hundred ninety two dollars of bank note currency government currency remained the same until after the panic of eighteen seventy three when popular demand forced the government to reissue twenty six million dollars of the cancelled greenbacks making the total outstanding three hundred twenty eight million dollars growth of business increased banknote circulation while government currency remained stationary from three hundred million five hundred forty five thousand three hundred ninety two dollars in eighteen sixty eight to three hundred fifty four million four hundred eight thousand eight dollars in eighteen seventy five the reissue of twenty six million dollars government currency helped reduce the demand for banknote currency and in eighteen seventy seven banknote currency fell to three hundred seventeen million forty eight thousand eight hundred seventy two dollars bank currency fluctuated slightly during the next eight years government currency remaining the same to three hundred nineteen million sixty nine thousand nine hundred thirty two dollars in eighteen eighty five in eighteen eighty six an era of great general prosperity set in and continued until the panic of eighteen ninety three the demand for bank credit grew amazingly banks could by law sell credit for four to ten times the volume of the lawful money gold silver or government currency in their reserves banknote currency cannot be counted as a part of bank cash reserves banks began to contract banknote currency selling their government bonds for lawful money to put in their cash reserves to enable them to increase their credit loans four to ten times such increase of cash reserves a bank for example could make more charging six per cent for ten thousand dollars bank credit issued based on one thousand dollars of lawful money government money held in its reserve than it could by investing that one thousand dollars in a one thousand dollar u s bond depositing it with the government and getting one thousand dollars banknote currency that it could not hold as cash reserve because not lawful money and could not use as a basis for increasing its loans of credit it got two per cent interest in the u s bond deposited as security and say six per cent for use of the one thousand dollar banknote currency needed by some customer to meet a payroll in cash less one per cent tax on the currency paid to the government but by selling the bond for lawful money and holding the one thousand dollars in its cash reserve it could increase its loans of credit ten thousand dollars at six per cent without investing an extra dollar this contracting of bank currency was further accelerated during this period by the decrease in the supply of bonds by payment of large portions of the public debt the whole bank currency system proving then as it always has been inelastic and unresponsive to the fluctuating demands of business in fact 
the bank currency system should have been abolished after the civil war and a system of elastic sound government currency put in its place congress in eighteen eighty eight authorized use of a large surplus for buying at a premium unmatured government bonds this premium tempted banks to sell bonds and contract bank currency based thereon because it was temporarily more profitable by june thirty eighteen ninety banknote currency had been thus contracted to one hundred eighty five million nine hundred seventy thousand seven hundred seventy five dollars from two hundred fifty two million three hundred sixty two thousand three hundred twenty one dollars in eighteen eighty eight three hundred nine million ten thousand four hundred sixty dollars in eighteen eighty six three hundred nineteen million sixty nine thousand nine hundred thirty two dollars in eighteen eighty five and three hundred fifty eight million seven hundred forty two thousand thirty four dollars in eighteen eighty two the highest year between eighteen sixty four and nineteen o two in eighteen ninety one banknote currency had been contracted to one hundred sixty seven million nine hundred twenty one thousand five hundred seventy four dollars thus as business and the demand for currency increased the banks actually decreased the supply because they could make more profit doing so this shrinkage in the quantity of available currency tended to force people to do business less on a cash basis and more by check bank credit which further increased bank profits senator john sherman that great ohio statesman and financial authority undertook to relieve the people of their increasing shortage of currency if the banks would not supply banknote currency because it was more profitable to do otherwise just then it was necessary to increase the quantity of government currency sherman saw that the banks would not allow congress to increase the volume of greenbacks because for twenty-five years the banks had been trying to get all greenbacks destroyed the banks for their own greater profit had contracted bank currency and the volume of available money over one hundred fifty million dollars if the banks had not objected this shrinkage could have been replaced with united states notes greenbacks with a total cost to the government of perhaps one thousand dollars the cost of printing the money and the notes being the obligation of the government would have been as sound as government bonds which are nothing more than the obligation of the government but the banks objected to any increase of the greenbacks so the sherman silver purchasing act of july fourteen eighteen ninety was passed this authorized the government to buy four million five hundred thousand ounces of fine silver at the market price each month and to issue treasury notes redeemable on demand in coin to pay for the same these notes were made full legal tender lawful money at a cost to the government of one hundred fifty five million nine hundred thirty one thousand two dollars for which treasury notes were issued one hundred sixty eight million six hundred seventy four thousand six hundred eighty two point five three fine ounces of silver were purchased the banks did not at first object because they needed for themselves more lawful money legal tender money to put into their reserves so they could inflate their loans of credit tenfold 
and if the banks got hold of the whole one hundred fifty five million nine hundred thirty one thousand two dollars of these silver treasury notes and held same in their cash reserves it would increase the loaning power of the banks one billion five hundred million dollars on which they would get six per cent or other going rate and the entire extra investment of the banks would be one hundred fifty five million dollars paid for such lawful money government currency gold standard and free silver campaigns the banks make their money chiefly selling or loaning credit they are interested in having as much credit and as little money used as possible therefore they do not want the government to issue money that they can either profit from or control the supply of it is largely immaterial to banks whether the country has a double monetary standard or a single gold standard for they know either would be sound so long as the government guarantees every dollar issued the big wall street men on the other hand usually do not sell credit they are private bankers not national or state bankers although in recent years they have become more largely interested in such banks but their chief business is selling bonds the bonds of governments states counties cities districts railroads and other corporations their best clients are the individual and corporate owners of the great fixed income or bond wealth of the world largely in europe such as the rothschilds the owners of such wealth for a half a century have been striving to get every nation to adopt the single gold standard they expected that in time the reserves of gold ore in the mines and the new discoveries would grow less they realized that with their wealth invested in bonds payable in gold coin if the output of gold should decrease half automatically it would double the value of their bonds and wealth measured in other securities property or labor if the gold output remained the same but growth of the world's business should double the demand for gold for government reserves and other uses likewise that would double their fortunes without any extra investment of course they did not expect that providence would turn their success into defeat by doubling the world's gold production the world's gold output was in ounces six million two hundred fifty thousand in eighteen seventy five million five hundred forty thousand in eighteen eighty five million four hundred seventy thousand in eighteen ninety twelve million three hundred fifteen thousand in nineteen hundred eighteen million two hundred sixty eight thousand in nineteen o five twenty two million fifty eight thousand in nineteen ten united states gold production ounces two million four hundred eighteen thousand in eighteen seventy one million seven hundred forty one thousand in eighteen eighty one million five hundred eighty eight thousand in eighteen ninety three million eight hundred twenty nine thousand in nineteen hundred four million two hundred sixty five thousand in nineteen o five four million six hundred forty six thousand in nineteen ten the world's silver production ounces forty three million in eighteen seventy seventy eight million six hundred thousand in eighteen eighty one hundred nine million in eighteen ninety one hundred seventy three million five hundred nine thousand eight hundred seventy three in nineteen hundred 
217,838,695 in 1910. United States silver, ounces, 12,375,000 in 1870, 30,318,000 in 1880, 54,516,000 in 1890, 56,647,000 in 1900, 56,438,695 in 1910. Because of the unexpected doubling of the world's gold production, the bondholders failed to double the value of their bonds as they expected, either through shrinkage in the supply or increase in the demand for gold, but by demonetizing silver and reducing by half the basic metallic standard, making gold alone the measure of value, the bondholders prevented the purchasing power of their incomes from gold bonds decreasing, or the value of securities, property, and labor measured in gold increasing to the extent that would have taken place if silver as well as gold had remained standard or a legal measure of value. The high financiers of Wall Street, at the instance of their best foreign customers, the Rothschilds and others, in 1892 undertook to demonetize silver and get congress to establish permanently in the law the single gold standard it was rumored that the job complete cost the interests about forty million dollars the resulting panic however cost the people many billions of dollars by way of losses the first thing as usual and as now has been done to promote the central bank scheme was to form a great offensive and defensive alliance with the banks of the country. The banks comprised an invincible political machine, with branches in every community throughout the country, with influential and shrewd men in control, and with unlimited power due to ability to apply financial pressure upon the business of every man and corporation in the United States. Considering the object, it was not an alliance but a conspiracy and if the exact truth ever could be revealed just what was done behind the scenes from eighteen ninety two to nineteen hundred it would cause the country to stand aghast and shudder that such things could be done in this year of our lord in the midst of civilization by such men and so many of them and solely for sordid gain for profit it was easy for wall street to show the banks that to continue issuing treasury notes to pay for silver bought at the rate of two million dollars to four million dollars per month under the sherman law of july fourteenth eighteen ninety in time would put afloat so much government money that it might cause the permanent retirement of all bank-note currency and give the people so much actual money that they would do business more upon a cash basis thus reducing the demand for bank loans of credit and it also was easy to show that while the gold standard might not directly benefit the banks in any way it in no way could harm them the banks needed the wonderful political and legislative skill and liberal campaign contributions of wall street to stop the increasing of the volume of government currency so the alliance the conspiracy formed was natural logical each having a different end to attain through action by congress and approval by the president 
and both wall street and the banks could share in the advantages and profits realized by their joint political raid the first successful undertaking of the allies was to defeat president harrison and the republican party in eighteen ninety two for paying instead of extending united states bonds and for passing the sherman act in eighteen ninety and elect grover cleveland president and a congress containing enough representatives and senators republicans and democrats of a kind that could be steered by the banks and wall street to ensure the repeal of the purchasing clause of the sherman silver act of eighteen ninety and the passage of a law establishing the single gold standard the tariff was a sham issue used to hide the real issue in eighteen ninety two and will be in nineteen twelve if the people will allow themselves to be again fooled by the same old game the banks decided the election in eighteen ninety two and expect to do the same in nineteen twelve cleveland was inaugurated march fourth eighteen ninety three up to that time there was not a single threatening cloud in the financial or business sky there was no panic or thought of panic by anyone outside of wall street and the very few big banks on the inside and wise to the moves contemplated business conditions never had been better or more sound or general prosperity more real and justified in the entire history of the united states bank clearings had increased between eighteen eighty three and eighteen ninety one from thirty six to fifty six billions of dollars cleveland called a special session of congress and demanded repeal of the sherman act he of course knew that the panic or financial disaster that came in the midst of prevailing prosperity was not due to the sherman act increasing the supply of government money but to the deliberate and wicked act of wall street and the banks inflicting upon the country an awful panic to frighten and drive the distressed and terrified people like cattle into hastily forcing congress to do the will of the criminal conspirators who caused the panic of eighteen ninety three eighteen ninety three panic was bank made an article in pearson's magazine for march eighteen twelve by Allen L. Benson, makes public alleged important additional data designed to further prove that the banks deliberately caused the panic of 1893 for legislative purposes. It gives the following as a mandatory circular letter to all the banks, alleged to have been sent by the National Bankers Association on March 12, 1893, eight days after Cleveland was inaugurated. Quote, Dear Sir, the interests of national bankers require immediate financial legislation by congress silver silver certificates and treasury notes must be retired and the national bank notes upon a gold basis made the only money this requires the authorization of five hundred million dollars to one billion dollars of new bonds as a basis of circulation you will at once retire one-third of your circulation and call in one-half of your loans be careful to make a money stringency felt among your patrons especially among influential businessmen advocate an extra session of congress for the repeal of the purchase clause of the sherman law and act with other banks of your city 
in securing a large petition to congress for its unconditional repeal as per accompanying form use personal influence with congressmen and particularly let your wishes be known to your senators the future life of national banks as fixed and safe investments depends upon immediate action as there is an increasing sentiment in favor of governmental legal tender notes and silver coinage End quote. such a round robin circular would cause a panic any time every banker knows that fact nothing could be more heartless and criminal any man who would send out or follow the instructions of such an order deserves to be court-martialed and shot as a public enemy the panic of eighteen ninety three caused every kind of crime to be committed by thousands who but for the panic would have remained good and useful citizens congress should immediately pass a penal statute making it a felony punishable by both fine and imprisonment any cooperative contracting of loans by national banks for the purpose of influencing legislation or the political actions of borrowers or causing panic or financial stringency in his message to the special session of congress president cleveland said quote, our unfortunate financial plight is not the result of untoward events or of conditions related to our national resources nor is it traceable to any of the afflictions which frequently check national growth and prosperity with plenteous crops with abundant promise of remunerative production and manufacture with unusual invitation to safe investment and with satisfactory assurance of business enterprise suddenly financial distress and fear have sprung up on every side thus we have the highest evidence that there was no natural reason for panic and that therefore the panic was wholly artificial created with several thousand banks alleged to be secretly contracting their banknote currency robbing the people of their daily money supply and putting the screws on businessmen everywhere by forcing them unexpectedly to slaughter securities commodities and other property to pay up bank loans to an amount aggregating billions of dollars of course suddenly financial distrust and fear have sprung up on every side and cooperative calling of loans is the only thing under the conditions then prevailing that could have caused the financial distrust and fear and the resulting panic later in this chapter is shown just how the banks tried to execute the alleged order to increase the bonded debt of the government another billion dollars mr benson quotes an alleged article in the july eighteen seventy five forum by william solomon a member of the great wall street international banking house of spire and company to the effect that cleveland was elected by the special interests on tariff reform as a sham issue the concealed but real issue being the stopping of the issuing of government currency and the repeal of the sherman silver law and that the panic was to be an object lesson to force the people to make congress repeal that law and that a special session was called and did the job according to the prearranged program congress was overwhelmingly against repeal but the awful pressure of the panic and the banks on the people compelled them at last to drive congress into surrendering to the banks and wall street 
and right now it is believed that the banks and wall street are preparing to do the same thing in the same way to drive through congress the aldrich scheme that is a thousand times more important to wall street and the banks than was the repeal of the silver purchasing act in the campaign of nineteen twelve the tariff is to be the nominal the sham issue the real but concealed issue being the aldrich plan which is to be forced through congress before march fourth nineteen thirteen if the president is defeated in this convention or election if panic comes the banks will cause it if they do the people will make short work of the banks they may organize a general depositors strike and all transfer their deposits from the national to the state banks and trust companies if national banks conspire to inflict upon the country the horrors of general panic congress is likely to seriously consider a repeal of the national bank act forfeiting the charters of every bank shown to have violated the law and fifty-nine per cent of the entire seven thousand three hundred thirty-one banks are guilty and the creation of a genuine government bank with branches in every city to receive the deposits of the people issue the currency and supply bank credit for business such a course is not desirable but it is preferable to a continuance of the present bank wall street despotism and the fiendish panics they cause for their selfish purposes cooperative calling of bank loans operates directly to restrain trade and interstate commerce it is a violation of the anti-trust law a crime with fine and imprisonment as the penalty if the banks in concert contract loans and cause panic or even astringency the people will not stop until the jails are filled with bankers in prison stripes artificial panic is war and hereafter if the banks again declare panic the fighting may not all be on one side end of section seventeen